this is working are my levels right okay very good all right hi and welcome to sorted sf i'm so excited you're here with me today i'm coming off the high of like a really great few days i had some friends in town i'm going to ski next week i got some answers to some ambiguity and uncertainty i was living in i'm drinking a beer from my old stomping ground and all I want to do is chat and be chatty and tell you things about San Francisco, the city I love so much. So this week, it's just me talking to you. No Hannah, no other guests, but I'm excited for more guests down the line. It's nice speaking to someone instead of just myself, but also I'm perfectly fine talking to myself. It's what I do. So here we go. This week's episode is kind of a two for one because I have two stories for you. The first one happened in 2020 and I'm calling it the Head and the Highway. I'm pretty proud of that name, and I don't know why other articles haven't used that name in their title, because it's, it's great. Uh, my sources for this episode include a Cron 4 article by Maureen Kelly, a KTVU article by Evan Cernofsky, CBS article, an SFist article by Jay Barman, and an article by Aaron McCormick for The Guardian. So let's get into it. Our story begins in April 2020, right at the start of the pandemic. Can you believe that was already two years ago? I think that's just so gross. Time be flying. So it's April 2020 and the friends and family of 41-year-old Catano Perez have hired a private investigator in an attempt to locate him. His Family and friends are all really worried, which is to be expected, because they haven't seen or heard from him in a while. So they're posting flyers trying to raise awareness in the neighborhood. Perez lives on the 1600 block of the Great Highway. Call back to the name. Highway and the head, head and the highway. Which puts him between Lawton and Moraga, for those who are curious. So Great Highway between L&M. No one had seen or heard Perez from him since April 10th, and on the 20th is when his family reports him missing. The investigator, Jeff Kaplan, said that the family had urged the police to do a welfare check at Perez's home and believed that from this welfare check, they'd be able to find some evidence as to where Perez was. And finally, on the 26th of April, they got their wish. And yes, they did find something, evidence of where he was. They found body parts, and a severed head. At the scene, identification of the severed head was impossible due to the heavy decomposition of the body. And once friends and family learned that a body had been found in the apartment, they began to lose hope that their loved one, Perez, would not end up being found safe. And while like doing research for this episode, I got really caught up on the sentiment of like, I don't know if the writers of the articles got their timeline wrong, but the way they're written, it implies that maybe the family wasn't totally convinced that that was Perez's body, even though it was Perez's apartment and he lived alone. Like, they still were like, maybe it's not him. And it just got me thinking about holding on to hope and how we just sometimes have to lie to ourselves if we're not ready to process things. And like this family needed to hold on to the hope that maybe it wasn't their guy. And they, they had to lie to themselves. They, uh, I mean, it's just beyond painful, but 
they weren't ready to accept it, you know? So they had to live in that lie. But of course, the body parts found in the apartment on Great Highway were identified as belonging to Perez, and his family did have to stop the lie and deal with the finality of losing a loved one unexpectedly and prematurely. Perez's friend stated, Katono was just a sweet, loving, honest, open, good-hearted person. We all loved him very much, and this is a tragedy. Which, like, to me, I mean, beautiful saying, like, that's so sweet. Like, but, like, this is a tragedy. Like, yeah, it's a tragedy, dude. Like, it's just gross. It's, like, worse than a tragedy. It's an atrocity. Because who decapitates people? Like, it's medieval and so disrespectful. Ugh. Like, it's like desecration of a... But, ugh. No. No dismemberment for me. Terrible. So at this point, SFPD had no idea what was going on and had no suspects. I couldn't find anything about how they processed the scene and the follow-up they did, but I feel like they're generally pretty capable in terms of police departments, so I assume they made the right moves. But... The world works in strange and mysterious ways, and who would have thought that a completely unrelated event occurring two weeks earlier would be the crime that eventually cracked this case? Easter Sunday, April 12, 2020, was off to a normal and holy start, but cut to the Chevron gas station on Hickey Boulevard in South San Francisco at 5.35 a.m., and it's a different scene. There's no better way to kick off one of the holy days of obligation than with a good gas station fight. This fight took things to a new level when one of the men attempted to carjack another guy. And apparently this was the guy's third carjacking attempt at that gas station just right then at 535 in the morning. Like, guy tried to jack a car? No. Tried to steal another? Nope. Then the third guy and him, like, actually got into it. And so the man who was defending his car and arguing with the carjacker ended up getting stabbed. And luckily, I guess, an off-duty SFPD sergeant, William Pond, was getting gas at the time at the station, and he tried to intervene, and then was also stabbed by this lunatic. He was armed, obviously being a police officer, and ended up shooting the carjacker. At that point, local law enforcement showed up and tried to take the stabber into custody. The stabber was later identified as 35-year-old Justin Silvernail from Antioch. And so even though Silvernail had just been shot, he was fighting back hard. And this is obviously because he was on a lot of drugs at the time. I don't think you carjack three times, stab two people, including a police officer, without being on some serious meth. I don't know. Like, it's just not what you're going to do as a, like, with a sober mind. And so, you know, when you've dug yourself into such a deep hole that the only thing you can do is keep digging. That's exactly what Silvernell did, because after resisting arrest, and after his three carjackings and two stabbings, he then stole a police car and drove away. He drove it to Kaiser on Hickey in Daly City, which is where he tried to drive it through the gates to the parking garage, which, like, way to pigeonhole yourself, dude. Like, what are you going to do in the parking garage? You're just going to get stuck in the parking garage. 
So he failed at that and started ramming his stolen police car into the other police cars that had followed him there. That's when he finally got out of the car, pulled out his knife, and then refused to surrender. Officers obviously fired and Silvernail was pronounced dead at the scene. And you might be wondering, what's this have to do with Perez and the severed head? So unlike season two of Euphoria, let's close up some plot holes. When investigators were doing their thing with Silvernail's body, they found that a lot of the blood on his pants wasn't his blood. But remember, this carjacking, stabbing murder was two weeks before the severed head was found, before Perez's body was found. So they just are like, huh, this blood doesn't match. Wonder whose it is. Uh, they also found Perez's ID in Silvernail's pocket. And so once the Perez's body was found and they, you know, were running their DNA tests and they were able to identify him and, you know, the family was able to like show pictures. This is what he looked like. They were someone, someone was, someone was working, someone earned that their money that their paycheck that day in the police department because someone had the good sense to be like wait a second remember that like carjacking stabbing at the uh chevron a couple weeks ago didn't we see this guy's id in his pocket and so like they were able to put that together and then they were able to compare the blood that was found on Silvernail's pants and see like holy shit it's a match for the body we just found so again someone really fucking nailed that one and so you try to connect the two and Silvernail and Perez weren't friends per se but they had known each other for a really long time and Perez's friends and family think that Perez was trying to help Silvernail back on their feet and help him battle his obvious drug addiction they say it was just the type of person Perez was always believing the best in people and wanting to help and that is the story of the head and the highway and the murder of Gatano Perez. And so now I wanted to include the second story because in a sense, it's similar to the tragedy of Gatano Perez. And this is the story of Mr. Egg. We almost named Bean, my little cat, Egg, but settled on Bean because Eggs kind of feels weird to say a lot. Egg, egg, egg. Ugh. Also, I kind of hate eggs. So this is the story of the murder of Mr. Egg. And bear with me. It's kind of a doozy. This story takes place in 2018, also pre-pandemic. We'll start with some background on our friend, Mr. Egg, otherwise known as Brian Egg. He was a 65-year-old man living in an old Victorian in Soma, aka south of Market. He was known as an eccentric neighborhood curmudgeon who regularly walked his little white fluffy dog named Fluffy. No, not Fluffy. It was named Lucky. <laughs> it was a fluffy dog named Lucky. And he was known to like water the trees on his block. He was a bit rough around the edges and kind of kooky. He didn't use technology and was always a little paranoid, but always friendly and would talk to his neighbors and invite them over to his little garden that he kept in his backyard. Hand-in-hand hand with the kookiness, Egg was also real frugal. 
He didn't buy many groceries, and he ate almost every lunch at the local homeless shelter that provided free meals to the unhoused and struggling. In his prime, Egg had worked at a local gay bar called The Stud, which is cute. Um, It was rumored, though, that he got in some trouble with The Stud for faking his own suicide after losing his job at the bar in the late 80s, early 90s. He allegedly had broken bottles and destroyed property at the bar before then driving his car onto the Bay Bridge and abandoning it. And though these records aren't public, local folklore says he was busted by police for pretending to have jumped into the Bay. So yeah, kind of kooky. So back to 2018. Spending almost every lunch at the shelter, Egg met a lot of down and out on their luck folks with their own struggles. He was known to like for offering these people he met a place to stay. And just like Katona Perez wanted to help people and also just like Perez found that no good deed goes unpunished. As such a staple in the neighborhood, people took notice when they didn't hear Lucky barking or see Mr. Egg walking around tending to the street's plants. Police say they received the first calls from neighbors reporting Egg missing in late July. Officers responded to the home twice, but each time they visited, no one answered, so the officers had to leave. On August 2nd, Mr. Egg's longtime neighbor and friend, Scott Free, made a post on Nextdoor to alert neighbors. Um, you know, he was just like, hey, has anyone seen Brian Egg? Like, you know, the guy who waters the plants and we see all the time. We love him. Um, and so neighbors expressed their concern and they were all on the same page. Like, let's keep track of his house. Let's make sure that like shit's good. Uh, and they would, were always commenting in next door of just like, just saw more strangers coming and going from the house. So that was August 2nd. On the 4th or the 5th, neighbors say the, like, the, um, having a welfare check had, you know, the cops had shown up twice already. And on the 4th and the 5th, the people in Mr. Egg's house started to frantically clean And people on the street could see soap suds coming out of the, like, windows of the house, like, overflowing out of the windows. And they could smell how much bleach was being used um, on the street, like, from the sidewalk. And someone even painted part of the front of the house, including the door. And so on August 7th, Brian's sister reported him missing. And Brian's brother reported, like, having called uh, Egg's house And then, like, getting the answering machine, and it was another man's voice on the machine, which is pretty fucking bad shit. Like, that's, I'd feel like I was in the Twilight Zone. What is this? Um, Brian's brother had called another time, and another man had answered and was like, oh, yeah, Brian's uh, out walking lucky. Like, he'll call you back when he gets back from the walk. And then, you know, obviously never heard from him. So August 7th, you know, sister reports him missing. The cops go again to do a welfare check. No answer. Cops leave. And on August 14th, neighbors can't believe their eyes when a white van pulls up with like the markings of like it's it's a the business is a biohazard crime scene cleanup van. And a man calls the neighbor, a man the neighbors like didn't recognize stood outside of Mr. Egg's house to, like, meet this crime scene cleanup truck. 
And the neighbors called the police like immediately and like, you're, you, this is like out of a fucking movie. Like, this is a joke. You have to get over here now. There's literally a biohazard crime scene company going into our neighbor's house who we haven't seen in months. Like, get over here. So thankfully, the cops showed up and when they came back out, immediately threw up crime scene tape. But like the neighbors and the investigators didn't know what they were in for. And so after searching Egg's house for days, police found a body without a head or hands in a large fish tank. Sources quoted in the SF Chronicle said the head and the hands were missing and that household chemicals had been poured into the fish, poured into the fish tank. Um, so police announced they arrested two men, and these are like men that the neighbors had seen at the home. One of them, Lance Silva, 39, was charged in court documents with using Mr. Egg's credit card to order the crime scene cleanup van and to buy a used BMW for five grand. Um, so Silva and the other guy, Robert McCaffrey, were originally arrested on the charges of homicide, fraud, theft, identity theft, and elder abuse. But the charges were dropped. Silva still remained in custody for a bit on a parole violation for a previous fraud case. But the second arrestee, 52-year-old Robert McCaffrey, was just released. And even though it was all right there that these men, like, obviously did some fucked up shit to Mr. Egg and need to burn in jail, these men can still be seen wandering around the neighborhood. Like the neighbors who looked for their friend, Mr. Egg, can see Mr. Egg's murderers just like hanging out, walking up and down the street, getting their free lunches at the same place Mr. Egg got his. Like, can you believe that? If you do some Googling, like you'll see that people are absolutely livid at like that this happened and that they couldn't be charged. Like they're fucking pissed because there's no justice for Mr. Egg or his poor family. Or, like, the neighbors who just, you know, were their friend. Their friend was murdered by these two fucking scumbags. And now they have to see the scumbags all the time. Like, ugh. It's awful. There's no justice. And, yeah, like I said, there's plenty of articles and plenty of forums and stuff where people are like, what can we do to, like, get someone to pay attention to this again? Uh, a little sweetness from it all, though, is that his neighbors have taken it upon themselves to tend to the neighborhood plants so that they can continue to flourish like Mr. Egg would have wanted. And so there you have it. Dismemberment, dismemberments happening to the best of people. I don't know if something about dismemberments just, I can't. It's not like the grossness of it, like the physical blood and guts part of it. It's the, just the disrespect. Like, we're not cows. We don't need to be butchered. Yeah, I hate it. Um, yeah, thanks again for listening in and being here with me. If you're feeling a little sad after listening to these stories, go water your plants in Mr. Egg's honor and tell your friends you love them like Catano Perez would have wanted. And through telling their stories, their memories can live on. And that'll do it for me. We'll see you next week.